At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. You have one unheard message. Hi, I was calling Current, the influencer marketing platform, but I think I just got redirected to a bunch of people listening to a podcast. Well, anyways, I was calling Current because I was told they could help get my brand set up on TikTok Shop and even build out an affiliate program of content creators promoting my brand and even have those content creators go on live streams and promote my product there. Wow, <laughs> I could really use Current. <laughs> I also heard that the brands they work with are making millions in sales. I guess I'll just go to their website at current.tech. Time for our journey to begin. You walk through our forests, yet you remain a mystery. What are you? Why do you hide? At the moment, it's about to have an unpleasant encounter with the self-styled masters of the wilderness. Man. Well, I loaded two loads of logs out that morning, and uh, I looked out towards the timber and I saw this movement. And I stood and watched and uh, from around behind a big tree there was a black deal looking at me and it had a peaked pointed head. As I recall, I brightened my headlights to get a better view of it. I started slowing down, I started to hit the brakes. And uh, then all of a sudden it started to move and I thought, my lord, the tree's going to come across the road. And as this moved away, there was vine maples there that were pretty high and I could see these broad shoulders and just kind of a nub, a suggestion of a head. He was standing upright and his arms like was hanging down the side of him and he looked between a man and a beast. I swung my arm in a big arc and... I said, uh, I yelled out, Hi, Sasquatch, come on down. Welcome to OK Talk. I'm Clint. I'm Matt. Tonight, part two, the dose of our ongoing conversation with noted field researcher and author, William Jevning. Very excited about this one. We know that you have been wanting (laughs) you. Yes, yes. We've heard you. We have heard your call in the wood, like a Sasquatch in the night. We've heard you whistling from behind us. Hey, we want to say thanks so much to the sudden frenetic rise and the ratings and reviews on iTunes of our podcast. We have gone from a whopping 10 to 16. That is a very, uh, a 60% increase. Listen, um, our program director is like, guys, I mean, do people like your stuff? I don't know. Please, if, if, if you like what we're into, and really, even if you don't, you could still do that. You know, go into iTunes. We don't mind if you lie, just as long as you're saying nice things. Yeah, I, I'm really just, it, it actually, it helps people find the show, you know. 
And the more people that are into it, the more you're going to get out of it. I'm just going to put it out like that. Um, But we really appreciate everything. Things have been very, very good and very successful. Um, And I did want to mention real quick that the uh, copy of Whitehall the Beast of Whitehall from Small Town Monsters is locking on Monday and January 31st. Kickstarter for Boggy Creek. That's right. They're doing a documentary about Boggy Creek. It's going to be Amazeballs and it starts January 31st. Look for the Kickstarter. Find Sass what Small Town Monsters Facebook, whatever, um, for the official website there. And uh, I think, you know, you may be able to... Uh, get to see the beast of whitehall early and i'm in it so there you go um also for us let's see what's our facebook matt it is facebook.com slash okay talk show we stay try to stay busy over there uh send us any messages we'll get them and um we love all the interaction that we've had so far on facebook so get those likes up and let people know share the page share whatever we always put up when we have a new episode so uh share that with with your Facebook friends. Facebook does a weird thing where they don't always show everybody that's subscribed to a page or that likes a page. They don't always show them uh, what we put up right away. So as if you're liking it, if you're sharing it, if you're commenting on it, it helps drive that discoverability and gets that out to more people. So uh, as, as much as important it is, as it is for us to put things up, it is also important for you folks to um you know like it and share it that's a really big deal to us and uh we appreciate it all always yeah yeah. and also you can uh you can rock the twitter um i love doing the tweetings Mm -hmm. and it's very interactive and have met some cool people over there too so Follow us on Twitter. It's OK Talk Show. You can send us an email at OKTalkPodcast at gmail.com. And thank you so much for listening. We appreciate it. And, you know, we know that you appreciate it because mm, we intended for it to be the tots. And yeah. It is. Now, I, and I'm always of the mindset. Uh, there's a little mantra that I like to try to live by which is act like you've been here before sort of the uh you know uh-huh. don't don't uh don't get too excited when someone says something nice to you or um but the more and more that we interact with people on facebook people will message us and if folks that we have we do not know and get messages from them saying hey love what you guys are doing and i'll I'll show that to Clint. I'll show it to my wife. And I think it's, I mean, it really jazzes me up. So as much as, you know, we love for you to share it and let people uh, discover it. It also just sort of helps, helps us keep going. Like it means, means a ton to me and, and Clint both. And I also want to put one other thing out. I did something really cool this week. And if you do follow me on Twitter, you've probably seen it. I purchased Journey to Squatchdom and Squatchin, I think is the other one. I'm sorry, Scott, if I'm messing that up. By uh, Scott Harriet, who uh, was, of course, one of the hosts of the now defunct Bigfoot show, Long Live the Bigfoot show. 
and they are amazing. If you think that what maybe we do is funny, you're, you're going to love it. Scott's hilarious. Journey to Squatchdom is really silly, and it includes an encounter with Daddis Perry. <laughs> and I was through the moon when I realized that that was going to be in there. Scott's really funny. I think it's Squatch Films. And there's a holiday sale continuing, and you can get two of them. It's hardly anything. He put it in the mail. Within an hour, it said, you know, it's on the way. So I highly recommend it. Can't say that enough. It's fun. We like having fun with Bigfoot. I don't think too many people are offended by it. But if you are at all, um, we're not trying to be mean. We're just, there's too much to love. I, I love laughing. I love making people laugh. I, I think the implicit thing to understand here is if we're talking about it, we love it. And yeah. We yeah. we are in it from head to toe. Yeah, totally. So you know, whatever fun or jokes we may have, that's just just how we that's just how we roll. But if we're talking about it, we're we're all about it. Yeah, and hey, a lot of people were wondering, and I want to go ahead and say this now because I don't want people to think that I'm lying to them at any point. At the end of the last Screenless Sasquatch episode, I just recorded a couple of football related encounters and i did that just to make fun of the fandoms from both of those teams and that was just me just being stupid that's why there's a clip at the end that says one man did all those characters (laughs) so um but the call encounters that we're having where i actually ask people what did they think about bigfoot are all very very real and uh as much as i can i try to capture them and so there's more of those and a lot of people really like that bit, as do we. I think it's really funny. Mm-hmm. Some um, of some of my favorite things that get played on the show have come from that. It's just amazing. <laughs> it's just amazing. And it, it, it really has me thinking at this point that maybe that needs to be my go-to line to famous people. You know, always try to think of what's the clever thing that I'm going to say to the I next one. think it's a good one. one. Uh, yeah, I realize you're David Blaine magician, but thoughts on Bigfoot. So I'm glad everyone is enjoying it. And we're really having a lot of fun with the show. And so without any further ado, we're going to go ahead and bring in the noted Sasquatch field researcher, William Jeffing. Hey, Will, say hello to Mr. Matt Stoker. Hi, Matt. How are you? Will, I'm doing well. How are you, sir? I'm good. Oh, oh, to talk oh, to you. oh yeah. He's excited. <laughs> he's excited. <laughs> so, Will Jevening back again. Conversation number deuce. Um, so, Will, let's talk about the Jevening Research Group okay. and your new website and what's going on with you. Well, lots of stuff since we talked last. Um you know, I, I get contacted by a lot of people all the time. And, you know, mostly it's either questions, you know, about the subject of Bigfoot or, or um, you know, somebody has information they want to pass on. I was contacted um, by a gentleman by the name of David Boozer, who is a professional um, marketer and uh, blog coach. And uh, he wanted to... He told me I needed a bigger web presence and wanted to uh, build a website for me. So, you know, I don't really know much about 
about building websites. Uh, I just had the blog that I put stories on occasionally. and um, But he put this thing together, and it's been kind of directing sort of where, where I'm going with things. And, um, you know, we, we've gotten to be pretty good friends, and he's actually uh, the leader of our Southern Oregon team now. Um, I, I created the Jevening Research Group some time ago, actually back in 2003, but, you know, with so many other things going on, it didn't really take front seat uh, until David and I uh, got together. And um, now we have teams in 28 states so far. Uh, I couldn't even tell you how many members. It's, it's growing so fast um, after creating the website. And then David and I were chatting one day, and he says, well, he says, I'd like you to do some um, maybe sort of some how-to videos, and it was mostly for exposure and kind of advertising for the website, uh, sort of how how to how to become a, a Bigfoot researcher investigator. So as we were discussing this, it, uh, this idea popped into my mind. I thought, geez, I can make a little book, a companion book for each one of these videos, and, and actually the, the books now have taken precedence <laughs> over the videos. Um, the videos will be free, and of course the books are for sale, but I've got five of those already published. Uh, as a, in a ten-part series, so uh, with that and other writings, and and we're gonna, of course, we do the blabs now. We've done about a dozen of them. Um, he's actually a friend of the person who created Blab, so uh, we're still kind of working the bugs out of it. But uh, they're they're getting fun to do, and you know, it's it's for not just our own members, but uh, you know, anyone who wants to come up there and and we just kind of talk about the topic or or sort of whatever we want to talk about. Uh, but um, we've already, it, it's common to have, you know, 100, 125 people in the chat while we're doing these things. Uh, so we're getting quite a bit of attention on that. And the same with the website. So uh, things are going along pretty well. We've, we've had some stuff going on in the field with some of the teams. And um, Now, are all the members are of, of the research group, are these generally, you know, independent folk that, you know, were into the subject or doing their own field research and you just kind of pulled them into the fold? Well, some were and some weren't. Um, we sort of started putting the word out that we were looking for, uh, you know, members for, for the Jebney Research Group, uh, you know, in, in all the states. And I was shocked by the, you know, response we were getting. We were getting people, like I said, we've got 28 states so far and counting, I think, I think we added on a couple more today, in fact. But uh, um, so it's you know, and and there were some people who were established who who had their own reputations out there, uh, who joined right up, and now they're they're part of the group. So, uh, but a lot of them are individuals uh, who maybe they had their own teams, you know, and, and tried to do a few things. But uh, uh, we've had a lot of people come in that you know want some guidance and. And to belong to a group that's you know trying to do things unbiased on the topic, so uh, that's where we're headed with this. So these groups are out hunting in the woods and collecting sightings, and just a little bit of everything. A little bit of everything. What are what are the types of people that are that are wanting to to group up with you? Or do you notice a a mix, or is it an outdoorsy type? Or well, it's kind of a mix, but you know we already had a lot of people who were both ex-military and current and former police officers, believe it or not. Hmm. Uh, we, had a lot, we have a lot of those folks that are, 
you know, real professionals. We've got one former or retired Navy scientist. We have a couple anthropologists. You know, it's, it's a really uh, solid group. That's awesome. That's yeah. awesome. So, so hey, well, Matt and I were kind of talking earlier today, and um, we were. Uh, First of all, w- this was something that we had talked about last time that you were on. Um, you were around the original kingpins of Bigfootery. Right. Tell me what you know about Dadis Perry. <laughs> oh, that says it all. Uh-huh. Uh, I, I, I probably, that's probably not a good way to start. <laughs> When, when I moved to uh, Vancouver, Washington, back in 1986, um, my girlfriend at the time, you know, we were talking, and she, she kind of was the one who got me going back into the whole Bigfoot thing at that time because, you know, I'd, I'd spent 10 years in the Army and, and uh, gone through a bad divorce and everything. So I when I went to Vancouver, it was basically initially to clear my head, and I liked it there, so I stayed there. And when we met... Um, you know, I spent a lot of time with her and, and her and her three kids. And one night we were talking, and she says, "You know, it's great you spend so much time, you know, with us, but there must be something you'd like to do yourself, you know, hobby or something." And I just kind of thought mentally, rolling my eyes, thinking, "You know, do I tell her or not?" You know, I really like this person, so I I, I told her. You know, I just kind of threw it out there, and she was really excited about it. She says, "Yeah, you should you should start doing that in this area." So. As I sort of got involved in it, you know, and got got a foothold in that area, um, one of the local newspapers did a big three-page article about me and, and my experience with the subject, and um, of course that enabled people to contact me from around the, the region there, Portland, Vancouver area. And one guy in uh, Portland was he was actually involved in the whole cattle mutilation thing with UFOs. But he had an interest in in Bigfoot because he had had a sighting um, back in the 70s himself. So he contacted me, and and he was uh, a very well-educated gentleman and uh, really sharp. So he and I would go out, you know, the field together. And uh, one time he says, well, he says, there's there's an old-timer out in the town of Carson, uh, about an hour drive east through the gorge, uh, who'd really like to meet you. He'd like to meet a real Bigfoot hunter. And uh, as we were going out the day we met him, uh, he says his name is Davis Perry, and uh, he's he's a little eccentric. He's an old, older gentleman, and he's giving me this rundown. And, and as we rounded the corner into the town where he lived, he, he here's this uh, nine foot mock up of a Sasquatch, complete with hair, by the mailbox. Wow. And I just thought, oh, God. (laughs) Uh, And like I said, you know, Dandon and the rest of those guys sort of kept me away from the general, you know, Bigfoot community. um, For good reason. For good reason. And, you know, this was my my own experience with with some of these people. So we went up there, and and, and Carlo, this guy was named Carlos Pazito, he, he was telling us as well, he says, I know it looks a little hokey. He says, That's, but Davis must really be impressed with you because he doesn't put that out for everybody. Oh, <laughs> oh, he can wheel that in and out. Oh, huh? it was oh a, yeah. It was a welcoming yeah. trinket. <laughs> yeah. So when, when we met Davis, of course, you know, this house was, was really old, and he, he was about 
I think about eighty years old at the time, and he and he lived with his ex-wife, and the house, of course, it, the house was a real. Uh, it was just a messy place, you know, not the cleanest place or anything, but they were old, you know, and and a lot of people you meet out in communities like that, you know, it's sort of the just the way things are, and uh, I figured, well, you know, it's good to have a contact out this far out from Vancouver because then I can cover Eastern Skamania County. You know, if something something comes in, they'll tell Datus. Datus will call me. Well, I figured Datus may have known something until he told me about his own encounter in Alaska, and I'm listening to his story. He talked about seeing this thing that looked like a stump that stood motionless for 20 minutes, never moved its hands, they were flat at its sides, and I'm thinking to myself, he saw a stump. <laughs> you know, it never moved. Stood for 20 minutes staring at a tree. The famous right. stump squash. Well, and, and I, I kind of, you know, you, you reserve things in your mind until you get to some points that just sort of push you over the edge into disbelief. And, and when he talked about paddling his canoe up a waterfall, that Whoa. was it for me. That was I was done at that point. <laughs> I just thought, okay, he's kind of a kook. So... He showed me he had, had all. He says, "Well, I've got proof that the Sasquatch is real." And he had this big flip chart on a on a tripod, and mainly what was on there was just some of his own ideas and stuff that he copied out of John Green's books. <laughs> you know? But I figured, okay, it's he was known as the Bigfoot guy in Carson, so uh, I figured, okay, you know, he's still the focal point. When when witnesses have something, they'll contact Datus. Datus will call me. And over a two-year time period, I, I can't tell you how many false alarms. Oh my gosh! We were called on. I mean, and I and it would be an uh, an entire day ordeal going out with Datus. What sort of stories was he telling you? Well, we'd get a call. A typical one would be, you know, he would call Carlo usually, and Carlo would call me, and he'd say, "Hey, you know, Datus is, you know, somebody, uh, you know, had a sighting over at such and such place." It happened two days ago. Let's go check it out. And when we get there, he would always insist on driving. Oh, no. And and he drove about 80 miles an hour on logging roads. Oh, my God. And there were no seats in the back of this old Ford van that he had, but it was full of tools and junk. <laughs> so Carl and I were sitting back there being thrown around with all the gear, scared that we're going to go careening off some cliff into a thousand-foot canyon at any time. <laughs> You know, it was it was more than a white knuckle ride time. It was horrible. It's exactly the opposite of what you would expect from an eighty year old man. You know, I thought you were about to say he drove about three miles oh, an hour oh, and oh. <laughs> he had one speed. I mean, I'm sure the pedal was, you know, flat to the floor at all times. Oh my gosh. <laughs> and you have to have that kind of speed if you're gonna go canoeing up a <laughs> waterfall. <laughs> Yeah, I'm not. I'm not so sure. I doubt him at this point. What uh, does does sitting in the back of that with all the tools and careening down a logging road does that make you question your life a little bit and what what oh, you're it, doing? It, it constantly. <laughs> like, what have I gotten myself into? And and by the end of the day, we spend all day driving up and down these roads in the mountains in Eastern Skamania County and. And finally, you know, I'd get to the point a little tired of, you know, not ever arriving at a point. Uh, I'd say, look, you know, where's where did this happen? What's Where's the witness? Can we talk to the witness? And it was always like, well, I didn't get his phone number. Or, you know, <laughs> that's kind of the way he talked. Well, you know, I didn't. And they kind of mumbled to him. Yeah. Well, I didn't get the phone number. I don't remember the guy's name. I met him at the store. And I thought, okay. 
one time we were up hiking around um, north of Stevenson, and it was one of those days where, you know, Datus had taken us on another wild goose chase, and I, I just got fed up with it. I walked on away from the other two guys, and there were a couple of young guys on dirt bikes, and they stopped and said hello. We chatted a bit, and I just said, hey, you guys ever ever seen a Bigfoot up here or know anybody does? And one of the guys says, well, yeah, a buddy of mine saw one just like a week ago. I said, can I talk to him? He says, well, let me ask him, and I'll, and I'll take your number and give you a call. So that one actually panned out. <laughs> you know, when I went and hmm. looked on my own or talked to people, I, I could get stories. But, uh, um, you know, the stuff with Datus was just absolutely worthless. <laughs> um, so <laughs> that's great. That's great. So we were talking about kind of uh, stories that really fascinate us, and Matt was, um, you know, tooling around on your blog and looking at um, um, some pre-1900 stories. Do you uh, do you have a favorite, like, 17th century Bigfoot encounter that, that you know? I don't know. Well, I, I'm not sure about one from that time frame. I mean, there there are some old ones like that. Now, did I say 1700? I meant yeah. 17th century. So, like, late 1800s yeah. when those started to hit the papers. There, there are some interesting ones from that time there was uh i mean of course you know the one that teddy roosevelt put in his book um and that one that book was published 1892 wilderness hunter and so i don't know how long it took him to write the book or collect information you know he'd, he'd take trips out west and uh for extended periods and collect stories from all of all kinds but uh that particular one uh it's a pretty creepy story i mean yeah, you guys are familiar with that one, right? Yeah, you want to you want to dust us up on it though. It's, it's well, the story was it was he starts out it was told he said he was told to him by an old grizzled uh, trapper or hunter I think he may he says um, you know so when the story occurred it could have occurred twenty thirty years prior to the guy telling Roosevelt and I'm assuming you know probably mid eighteen hundreds is when when it occurred and it was on the uh, border area of. Um, Idaho and Montana, what was called the uh, the Wisdom and Salmon Rivers at that time, or where they where they join. Uh, and I don't know which what the Wisdom River is called today, but uh, anyway, these guys were trapping, and uh, this guy named Ballman and his partner and hadn't had a lot of luck, so they decided to go to this one uh, remote valley that had apparently had kind of a a bad reputation. Uh, apparently, Indians had found a a lone hunter that had wandered into it the year before, and they found his corpse half-eaten in there. So um, they decided to go in there anyway, and, and they decided to fa- they found a little glade, made a, a their camp, put the lean-to up, and when they were sleeping, I think it was the first night, um, one of them woke up, and, and this huge shape was looming, you know, standing at the, the entrance to the lean-to, and, they sh- and he shot at it. And... Uh, they kept hearing noises around them, and they knew they were being followed. And, uh, you know, they looked. one of the guys looked at the tracks the next day, and he said, look, this bear's been walking on its hind legs. You know, so it wasn't a bear. It was obviously one of these things. And uh, as the events went on, uh, they figured they had best clear out of there. So they went and clear, uh, picked up the tracks, or uh, traps, and... Uh, 
they were being followed while they were doing this, then, you know, with the sunlight being a nice bright day, it sort of uh, didn't bother them so much. So they ended up splitting up. One went back to the camp to pack things up. The other one went to a little pond that was farther out to collect beavers. Um, and it took him longer to get the, the traps than he thought. So it was getting dark when he got finished, head back to camp, called for his partner, and uh, when he got into the camp, he saw that the, his partner was laying on the ground, and he could tell that apparently the guy, when he got done packing, had sat down on this big spruce log with his back to the woods, and this thing had come up behind him and sunk four, said four great fangs in the back of his neck, breaking his neck, and then it rolled back and forth across his body after it killed him. And it scared the guy so bad, all he did was grab his rifle and took off running to where the horses were hobbled and, and got out of there. So I'd say that's a that's a wow. that's a favorite. There's a lot of uh, a lot of trapper stories. I was actually flipping through Raincoat Sasquatch the other night, and I was reading this one about um, and the trapper had a dog with him, and <clears throat> the dog, you know, the next the morning he wakes up and the dog's not around, and he's like, you know, he'd go roam wherever, but the dog was always showing up in the morning mm-hmm. wanting some food, you know, and so uh, he walking out calling for it, calling for it, and the light snow on the ground, and he can see the dog's tracks, and then he can see another pair of tracks that are quite large, and that there's a little bit of the two of them, and then the dog's tracks disappeared completely. And so he followed the Bigfoot tracks, and they came back all the way around into a circle to where he had first met the dog and the dude was like i'm out of here yeah (laughs) which means the bigfoot had taken the dog walked off and then came back and was right there next to the camp wow and which i mean you know I really am fascinated by that time in american history where the trailblazers are you know cutting through the land the gold rush and all of that you know i mean that's that obviously the west coast has quite a bit of history um with this stuff and and i can only imagine just the people that are coming into areas that are so native for you know and just running into things that do you think that the population was larger back then You think? Well, you know, I, I, we've talked before about my having a, a few inside contacts, mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and I'll leave it at that. Uh, and I gained a lot of information in the past year from a few of those contacts. And, uh, and you know, I, I had suspected with Log there was something that didn't make a lot of sense, you know, the whole spotted owl controversy when that was going on, you know, in the 70s and 80s. Um, it, it didn't make a great deal of sense, and, and I, I've read through some of the congressional hearings on that uh, since all that time. You know that uh, they were worried about um, you know the the ecosystem being unbalanced. You know because if the, that owl disappeared, well, there was another. There's another owl that occupies the same space in the, in the ecosystem, so in great abundance. So I couldn't quite understand what that was all about, but it seems to be um, 
with logging and these creatures, um, everybody would think that cutting timber would basically kind of screw up the food chain. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't really. What it does is it, it creates a ton of food because the, the heavy forest, they pre- it prevents light from getting to the forest floor, so vegetation is very limited in those systems. And it kind of keeps the population of animals, you know, at a certain point and all that. But if the forests are cut, a lot of leafy plants explode because of all this sunlight being able to get to the forest floor. So that all the animals that eat that plants, you know, their populations explode and the, the predator populations explode, you know, correspondingly. And what I was told um, that the uh, that the Sasquatch population is much larger now than it was, say, in the 1950s. And uh, so, so your uh, your your contacts, as it were. I mean, is there basically like some sort of a census of sorts? Well, the numbers the numbers I was told was in the 1950s it was estimated around uh, thirty thousand on the continent. Today, it's six figures. Wow. But so someone is out there keeping track of this. They keep tabs on them, you bet. Mm. <laughs> How much do you, Matt wants to talk to you about that so bad? <laughs> he doesn't want to... I have to be careful what I say because sure. it, I can't give... Certain, if I say certain things, it can be pinpointed to certain sources. Well, well you know, you can, you can always... Um, I mean, you can always edit yourself, or if you do slip, we'd cut it, but... Uh, I mean, I, I'd love to know as much as you want to go, wherever you want to go. I'm, I'm, I'm always game. I mean, Matt's. Uh, you should see the look in his eye, Will. He's got a twinkle <laughs> in his eye. He's like a child looking at presents under a tree, wondering if he can open well, one. Well, let's just do this. We can come back to that, but I do want to. I, I do want to go back to uh, some of these older stories because there's a thing that I was that I was telling Clint that I'm fascinated by these stories from the. Uh, the 1800s, and even you know farther back, the, oh, yeah. the Native American tales, and uh, and I don't know what it is, and maybe it's just uh, maybe it's na- naivete on on my part, but it seems to me that those stories um, t- tend to just sort of tell it like it is. They just sort of tell what they saw. Whereas today, I mean, I'm sure you're aware, there's this sort of uh, mythology built around Bigfoot where people tend to get hyped up about it and. Uh, anything in the woods is Bigfoot. These people just say, hey, I saw an animal. It looked like this. This is yeah. what happened. I would say even prior to the mid to late 60s, you know, story up until that time, it was pretty much a localized thing, you know. And, and of course, that's because that's the way news travel in those days. It wasn't, wasn't like today, I mean, where, you know, a story someplace gets spread everywhere back then. You know, whatever happened in a local area, you know, unless it was some big thing like, you know, the president being shot or something like that, it wasn't wasn't transferred all over the place. Mm-hmm. You know, stories stayed kind of in local areas. And when you look at some of these stories, that's... Uh, and you can go back and find these things in, in archives, uh, but you kind of have to know what to look for. So, because they, they had different names or all that kind of stuff, and, and you're right, after... And, and I, I kind of pinpoint the... Really, the whole Patterson film thing—that sort of—is what really got everybody interested. And yeah. and some of the people who, and some of the original people, you know, like, and I knew Renee DeHennon and John Green fairly well. Uh, there were certain things they didn't 
tell people publicly, you know, about sightings because they had to have a gauge to tell if a story was legitimate or not. And and sort of after they were gone, all this stuff has gone out. Everybody knows everything, so it's really easy for people to manufacture things and uh, and and just it, it's a tough it's a tough way to gauge stories these days. And like you said, there is kind of the mythology and and the whole um, I, I don't know what the the whole <clears throat> image of the subject, you know, where when you go back before that time. It was. It was just straight information. It wasn't. It, there was no kind of filtering or anything. And that's not to say that people back then didn't tell tall tales, but uh, I do. I do find those reports. I don't know. Carry a little bit more, and maybe it's even just because they, you know, they're out in the wilderness more. They're they're in logging camps. They're in, you know, they're out hanging out or by a river or something like that. Whereas we today are not necessarily doing that quite as much. Different than what those folks did, right? And uh, and even then, and, and it's interesting to mention like some of the old timers. Occasionally, there was a story that was made up. I mean, like uh, you know, everybody today still likes the Albert Osman story, right? Happened back around 1924, and Hinden was the guy who was the primary investigator with Ostman, and he, he stayed in contact with him for around 20 years, and. and Renee told me once, he said, you know, my final estimation about Albert Osman was he made the story up. You think? But it, well, he said, you know, he was he was exposed to a lot of the Indian camps where they would talk about these these things. Oh, okay. And so, you know, he could have definitely picked up details, but he says, you know, there's there's never been another story like that ever repeated. And that that's a gauge, you know, with this subject when there's I can listen to somebody's story and in just a few seconds tell if they're telling me the truth or if it's something I have to hold in reserve because I think it might be bogus. Yeah. If because because elements repeat, you know, in legitimate stories. Yeah, yeah. totally. The only and and you know it's funny you said that cuz the one thing about the Osman story that I know that repeats is the the fact that it picked him up. And, you know, that's actually associated with the Lake Worth monster story. Yeah, I mean... and but Like, picked up going. in a sleeping bag while sleeping. Sure. Um, but, you know, of course, it sounds totally ridiculous. Uh, it, it does. I mean, being kidnapped <laughs> in a valley. And, yeah, packed off. And, and using tobacco to get out of it. It sounds like that was probably just a story that Copenhagen put out there. Yeah, probably. <laughs> 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 Good advertising. Yeah, exactly. So, can I ask you? Can you give me some some of your most recent encounter reports? There was an interesting one, and I'll, I'll leave a couple of the specifics out of it, just because it, it came to me from a, a current active law enforcement officer. Um, it was a friend of his who was a Native American, and um, it did happen. I think he said about six years ago, but. Uh, the guy, the guy was something of a, a cowboy, and he was working on this ranch on a reservation in the Southwest, and uh, tending some sick cattle, six or eight, her head in a, in a barn one night, and he was sleeping in this loft, and the loft was about 12 feet above the main floor, and he was right on the edge, and he said about one in the morning or so, he felt himself being nudged on the side, and he kind of opened one eye, thinking it was one of his buddies 
playing a trick. So he reached over and grabbed a cattle prod, and he zapped this thing in the shoulder. It fell over backwards and was just went into a rage. And, of course, you know, he was a little shocked himself, not realizing it wasn't a person. It was one of these creatures. So not a very nice thing to do to a person, though. Not a very nice <laughs> thing to do. So this thing, apparently, you know, between trying to trying to get to him and, he, and all he could do was kick hay in his face, uh, it started dismantling the barn in a rage. And he finally ran and jumped out the window in the loft, landed on the ground, ran like hell for his pickup, hoping that it wasn't going to come tearing out after him. And he got in and, and took off to the nearest um, uh, the Indian, the tribal police station. And once he got there, of course, he told them what happened. Uh, and they went back with him and apparently had made some calls. And when he got there, there was, you know, Bureau of Indian Affairs, uh, FBI, and a few other three-letter agency vehicles there. Uh, the Sasquatch had killed all the cattle in the barn and destroyed half of the barn in, in this rage. I mean, uh, talk about, you know, having an ill temper. Wow. <laughs> and the FBI responded to this call? Well, uh, all these agencies showed up, and, and nobody really knows why. And, and, it, mm. and they eventually, uh, of course, the, when they, they got the story from him, and uh, even the owner of the property was not allowed to come back for about two weeks. Oh. That's an that's that's a really intense story. That's an intense story. <laughs> <laughs> it's one of those you sit there and I had to kind of chuckle about it after after he told me and I'm like, "Oh my god." <laughs> wow. I remember the last time that we talked, you uh you had some stuff going up in like Upper British Columbia or yeah, um a young guy up there works for uh gas and oil exploration company <clears throat> had a little incident where now he said they you know of course they go way away from areas where people are obviously you know in these very very remote areas looking for uh, for gas and oil deposits and he said this particular location they were about 37 kilometers from the nearest uh, road let alone human population area and uh it was a time of year when there's a lot of light, you know, most most of the day and night. And he said they worked 12 hours on and off, and he decided to go fly fishing. He found this little creek. He wanted to go in his off time. So he was up there, and he said he'd only cast out the second time, and, and he said that he thought somebody whistled at him from just across this little creek. And he said, I know there wasn't any people up there. You know, we were, the crew was the only ones up there, and I was out here by myself. He said, then this thing took off running, and he saw it run through a little clearing in the brush. And it was one of these creatures. It was only about six feet tall. And uh, he uh, he went down and, you know, photographed the footprints, left beautiful footprints in, in the wet sand there, and uh, cast one. And he sent me a bunch of that material, so which I'm going to put in my one of my next books. But... Um, he said he found, you know, in the hills around there, you know, some of the rock stacks like that I have from sites in in uh, Oregon and Washington. Uh, I didn't even mention any of that stuff to him. He, you know, had seen all these things and was telling me all these things. And, you know, I was thinking, wow, that's that's about as uh, legitimate as you can get a, a situation like that. He, you know, he, only, he not only has the account, but he has all the physical evidence that, you know, supports all that uh, that account. Yeah, that's 
the vastness of northern Canada. Oh, yeah. And and, and the guy's father works for, uh, I, I guess it would be the Canadian version of our, you know, fish and game service. And he's, uh, his expertise is quite uh, well-known. Apparently, he handles all the bad bear situations up there. Mm-hmm. Uh, expert tracker and everything. And he taught his son all this stuff, too. And then we had a, a long talk about, you know, tracking and, and what you learn from tracking and things like that, things that I had never heard, terms I'd never heard before that were pretty interesting. But uh, so the guy knows his stuff. And, uh, it, you know, that's I'm hoping to be able to get up there at some point and, uh, and look around that area. Uh, that was one thing I was talking to Clint about earlier, and I, I guess it comes up more often than I notice. But I was reading some of the stories on on your blog about how groups of of folks would go out and, and track these animals, and um, most of the time when I when I hear about sightings, it's usually you see one and it runs away, and um, that's that's sort of it. Maybe you find some things, but um, I, I, I'm I'm interested more in these people who do have tracking experience. Um, uh, and I'm wondering why they're they're not uh, are there just places where they they follow the trail and they just cannot go they can't follow the trail anymore because the animal seemingly runs up a steep slope or that's that happens I mean and these guys seem to prefer that kind of country I mean yeah you know and and people don't understand uh, and it's one of the things I'm covering in the next book is uh, there's two basic reasons why these things are so hard to catch up with the first one is. It has to do with uh, with the way they feed in their in their ranges um, because they're moving all the time. They only stay in an area for about about two weeks, roughly, uh, and then they move on. So, you know, it, it, you hear some people say, "Oh, you know," they're and, and one of the stories things you hear is like at a certain time every year, people will say they see or hear something in an area. Well, it's because that's how they where they're passing through the range in that time of year, as long as they're not disturbed by people. You know, or the food supply is, is isn't altered, but uh, that can occur. But these guys, um, if you look back in history, from what Indians and other you know older cultures say around the world, you know, and almost all cultures have had contact with these things. They all have kind of the same view of them, and it's not a good view. Uh, you know, they were known to be man-eaters. They were all these horrible things. I mean, things like trolls and ogres and all that. That's where those names came from. They were, they're referring to these things. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and if you go back, I don't know if you guys are familiar with Danny Vendermee's book, Them and Us. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. You and I talked about that the last time. Right. And, and what I found through my sources is that the people who were involved in this subject sort of used that as one of their... Uh, training reads because if you get rid of the sexual component and, and Neanderthal in there it's pretty close to what these things are and if you go back 40, 50,000 years before there was any real um, written history uh, it's very possible that something like that you know there, there was a lot of friction say between these, these things and, and our species um, and you can look at what, what we do and I always use the example of dogs you know we, we like to think we're, we're civilized and peaceful and everything, but if we have any kind of a threat to us, we, we extinguish it very quickly. Uh, you know, we're very low tolerance when it comes to any kind of threat to humans. You know, if a dog bites somebody, we put it down. You know, so if anything more, I mean, obviously, if something was eating us, then we would, you know, really be up in arms over something.
something like that. And I think our ancestors were the same way. And um, if if, they're, if the histories are correct, and they, I'm sure they are because there's so much um, similarity, you know, amongst different cultures in regards to this, then our ancestors probably, you know, went out and, and thought they exterminated these things. It's probably why we forgot they were out there. You know, it happened so long ago. Um, and today, the, the ones that are, that are here now, you know, we'll stay away from humans because, you know, one-on-one, no competition. Uh, but they know that we're dangerous, that we're a pack animal. You know, if you had to do something to one, more will come. And uh, my, my Native American buddies basically said that. I mean, they told me that, yeah, these things were here when our people came to this region, and we pushed them out. That's, I mean, that's, that's something that um, I guess I don't often hear about. The, I, I always hear the Native American tales, and it's, it's almost like a coexistence, but I guess... Uh, you it know. really depends on the tribe's experience. I had an elder and a chief tell me a couple of years back, he said, you have to be careful when it, when it comes to some of the Native culture, what they say, because, um, you know, what will be in, in tribal writings might be based on just a single person's experience, a family's experience, you know, a whole band's experience, or, or maybe the whole tribe's, you know, thoughts or beliefs. Um, so, but when you look at the majority of them, they're not the, you know, the friendly tree hugger kind of deals it's you know they call them cannibals and man eaters yeah wow hey will i gotta ask you something i've been thinking about this and i was telling matt earlier and and i'm not trying to be crude here but i've heard I've, i've heard this twice this week once in audio form and once in reading um someone mentioning this and uh man if you're renowned would probably know What's the deal with people talking about Bigfoot's erect penis before he gets <laughs> killed or ticked off? I have never heard that, actually. Are you kidding me? No. <laughs> I think that's somebody's perverted imagination. I, I don't understand. You know, there are some strange folks the subject attracts. There, there are some really weird ones. There are. I, I don't know if there, there must be... There seems to be a lot of, maybe a lot of these guys, uh, Patty was their first naked woman. View. <laughs> I think so. But, you know, when I was working the, you know, the south of Washington area back in the 80s and 90s, I come across one guy, and I, I won't mention his name or anything, but he, uh, you know, he got to be somewhat of a name in the subject, at least regionally there. And uh, when I, you know, he was going to join my organization for a while and write our newsletter um, and then decided he, he wanted to become important so he went off on his own but uh, uh, I found out that he wrote a 20,000 word uh, novella that was actually X-rated about <laughs> Bigfoot raping women around the town of Cougar and I, I, to me that was disgusting yeah it's ridiculous <laughs> I mean good grief it's ridiculous I just uh, I, I'm not kidding like I kind of got I just got weirded out that that it happened twice. One of them was, I mean, I don't have any problem telling you where one of them came from. Uh, it was in an article that the Texas Monthly wrote about 
this guy was following uh, Rick Dyer around when he was pulling his <laughs> bullshit Sasquatch in that box. And, yeah. and it was a comment about that when he had his little media team in a Walmart parking lot that oh, boy. that was his comment was that it was, uh, you know, obviously, is that his thing? And he was like, yeah, but you should have seen it when I shot him. <laughs> well, this, was, this was Dyer's comment. Yeah. Yeah, like at some point that added more machismo to the story. And I've, I also heard it somewhere else auditorially that I won't mention, but yeah. it's just weird. I don't, un- I don't understand it. They're, Matt and I are both just fascinated by how many freaking weirdos are in this community. And I think oh. that it is part of the majesty of Bigfoot is how many, um, how strange folks can be. I tell people, if you want to understand the topic, you have to at least 50% understand human psychology. Yeah. I mean, you have to. They sort of go hand in hand because of all the weirdos. Yeah, and it's, you know what? Like, I can understand how if a person has a sighting or an encounter and, you know, nobody believes them, it can drive them to the mouth of madness. Oh, yeah, and I've talked to many people where it's been decades before they ever told anyone. Yeah. And many times I've been the, the first person they ever told anyone. Yeah, because, I mean, that's a, it's funny, that's a, could be a career killer, you know, um, all sorts of ways that that could go. But, you know, you also, a lot of times hear people that have these kind of encounters, you know, like it disrupts their family situation or because you become obsessed with it you know if you get you know just a little bit of an inkling it's it's over you know yeah there's nothing it's obsessive oh i've i've met plenty of people like that um you know where not in i'll tell you one thing there was a guy in vancouver that i knew uh you know nice enough guy didn't have much of a life but uh you know when I, i used to have um the letters that I correspondence, you know, from people like DeHinden and Green, everybody had a big four-inch binder. It was kind of keepsakes, you know. I put them in there and in these little plastic sleeves and everything. And I, I let this guy read through that one time. Um, and then Renee came to visit me one time, and of course, you know, this guy got all kinds of excited by meeting DeHinden, and and that's all it took. He decided he was going to become a you know a Sasquatch hunter and well not hunter because he he felt going to the field was a waste of his time but so he'd sit in his basement you know and he he was uh you know mr mr expert got himself even got himself on the tonight show once you know (laughs) i know who you're talking about yeah you know who i'm talking about yeah yeah we talked about him last time yeah yeah so you know i mean and and that kind of ruined his family and marriage and everything i mean Hmm. you know there's just it does that to people i'm you know, always caution people. You know, you gotta you gotta relax a little bit. Don't you know? Don't uh, push it so hard. People burn themselves out on this topic. I've seen so many people come and go. I can't even count them all. Yeah. And and people say, well, how how have you been able to stick around so long? And it's because you know I, I move at a little slower pace. Yeah, I'm not in any big hurry. I'm not out to make a big name. It's just I'm out to get some answers. That's the big thing. Yeah, you you got your nose to the grindstone doing that field work. And and I'm stubborn, so <laughs> that helps too. 
That helps too. Yeah. Well, hey, I know you already have had a big night of uh, chitting and chatting on the Blab Talk, and um, I really appreciate you taking a few more minutes to let us catch up with you. And um, oh, absolutely, kind of baptize Matt into uh, the Will Jevning fan mm-hmm. club. And um, do you want to go ahead? Let's go ahead and tell everybody one more time about WilliamJevning.com. And um, what's the best way for people to get in on the Blab Talk? Well, if you want to go to Blab, uh, first thing is Internet Explorer doesn't work. You need either um, Google Chrome or Firefox, you know, as your server. And uh, every week we post it up on Facebook. Uh, All you have to do is click on the link, and it takes you right there. Uh, If there's an open seat, it'll it'll have four spaces on there. Uh, Sometimes there's an open seat. If you want to chat, you just click on that, and we bring you on. If not, you know, you can be in, in the in the chat there and ask questions and listen in live. Uh, the shows are also posted to the website, so, if, you know, if you want to go back and listen to those. And uh, and we're also, you know, planning a, a new podcast, so mm-hmm. that's coming up here in about a month, I think. Yeah, it's awesome. I know people are going to be really excited about that as well. Did you have something, yeah, Mr. Matt? Yeah, I just want to, before we let you go, I want to ask you one more question. Sure. Um, when we do get definite proof that we know that Sasquatch is out there. Where do you think that will come from? Do you think that will be a logging truck hits one or a random hunter shoots one or some official proclamation from the government? Where do you think that will come from? I think it'll come from somebody bagging one. Of course, you can't let the government know about it right away. It'll have to be brought out. Um, I mean, unless, now one of the goals we're trying to do, and if, if we can get the backing, you know, the financial backing on it, we can go out and prove these things are real without doing that because, and I'll give you a reason why. I, we ran two very successful tests in November, uh, one of our New York teams and one of our Utah teams. I directed them with some of this knowledge that I've gained in the past year uh, right into groups, uh, identical um they had identical results, 100% success. So it was a good field test. Uh, I mean, thousands of tracks. They saw multiple individuals, you know, during their hunting in, at night. Um, all kinds of material we gained from that. So uh, I know with the right backing, I can I can take a team in in any one of about a dozen or more hotspots around the country. And we can walk right into these things out. Yeah, and we're talking, you know, like National Geographic quality film, things like that. And I mean, not just, you know, 30 seconds or a minute worth of film. We're talking hours if we're, you know, fortunate enough. So like gorilla encounter type. Exactly. So that sort of thing. And I, and I think it's, it's very, I would say with a 95% chance, you know, we, we'd be able to do that. I can't say 100% because there's always, you know, variables in these situations. But the field tests were, like I said, they were 100% successful. We're going to run another series of them here this summer. And um, So now what would the backing include? Would that just be for travel and that such? Well, if we well, what I went backing for is, you know, we have a team, and again, they're all professional people, so... Um, and they have to. You're going to need to walk away from their jobs. Does it take a certain amount of people to make it happen? Well, it depends on how many teams we're able to field, and the team would consist of about four people. Uh, it would be nice to have three or four teams, you know, because they, because 
things like that. You're not just pushing a group a certain direction. You've got to get around the group. But uh, Okay, so you're basically you're talking about surrounding them. Yeah, I, I'm talking about it as, as a five-year plan. Oh. And we've got a very specific plan put together to do this. You know, and, and whoever would back it, you know, the material would all be theirs. You know, and it would be great if they wanted to make if they want to make a television show out of it, films, whatever, you know. Um, our our plan is just, you know, we have our salaries. We're not not going crazy on equipment. We like to keep things very basic. You know, people want all these fancy cameras and things and it really doesn't require that. Um, so like I said, we've we've got a plan in place, and and it can be done. And you think catching all of this on film would be enough to say this is oh, true? Oh, absolutely. And you're t- because then you're talking about all peripheral evidence too. You yeah. know, feeding behaviors, uh, territorial markings, thousands of footprints, all that stuff. You know, not only that, you'd have biological evidence. You'd collect hair, things like that that could be tested DNA wise. And uh, and speaking of that, my you know I mentioned the story about the 15 year old kid with a bike. Um, there there was a DNA test done in that situation that wasn't supposed to be done. Uh, and I'm still trying to get a get a copy of that test because they they were a little upset that they that the, as much money was spent on it as it was. <laughs> but it came back. All it came back was unknown primate. That's really all you're going to get from a DNA test. Yeah. You know. But it, it was interesting in itself that it came back that. Well, then then let me say I hope you guys are able to get this done because that sounds very exciting. I was going to say, Matt, he answered your question. He said he's going to be the guy. Yeah, it's going to come from him. <laughs> Will's going to be the guy. <laughs> we That's my plan. We'll do it. I mean, I told him on, um, in a private conversation that we did not record that, I mean, we should just we should get him on Shark Tank. We can get him in front of Mark Cuban. I think cubes would be down. I, I think it would fund this this venture. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's you know, that's my Dallas. That's my Dallas coming out. But I mean, honestly, I, like just looking at it from a businessman's perspective, if you can be in on the ground floor of proving Bigfoot exists, oh, like come on, that's got to be lucrative. If you own that film, come on, it, it would be huge. And and I think even even the teams being in the field doing what we're planning on doing. Uh, you know, I mean, there's that silly, you know, Finding Bigfoot show that's everybody calls not Finding Bigfoot is really worthless. You know, what we're talking about doing, you would we would at least have evidence shown, you know, on film. You know, the team's doing very specific things, not this shotgun approach, um, because we know where to look for these things. There's very specific places where they are and what attracts them to certain places. I'm excited about the possibility then. I I am too. I just I'm ready for it to I'm ready for it to move to move yeah, forward. Yeah, the subject needs to move forward and that's that's what the Jebbing Research Group is doing, you know. And my angle on that is I prefer skeptics. I don't like I mean it's not that I don't like the Bigfoot community. I'm not really I don't consider myself part of the Bigfoot community. You're really not. It's funny, you're not. Um, it, it, you are kind of, um, you're just not in the circle or the circuit, but everybody knows who you are. Obviously it's right. kind of cool. And, and I prefer skeptics. I would rather have 10 skeptics than one Bigfoot believer with me in the field. Yeah. Because skeptics give, make you get better answers. 
and and they're looking at other possibilities. You know, people that with that mindset have sort of a a wider view. You know what I mean? Yeah, like whoa, 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 whoa. Yeah, let's. That's a mountain goat, buddy. Settle down. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, you you have to rule out every possibility before you say, well, maybe what we found here was done by a Sasquatch. But that should be the very last thing. And then you have to have supporting evidence, like these clowns on TV. You know, they always hear something knocking in the woods. Okay, that can't be very far away where you heard that noise come from. Why didn't? Why don't they walk their butts over there and look for evidence to support that? Yeah, exactly. I just, I don't understand that thinking. <laughs> it's, it's very shallow and it's worthless in my opinion. Well, Will, I hope one day that you can throw us into the back of a Jeep Wagoneer and take us off 80 miles an hour down a logging road and show us some some things. I'm so ready for that. (laughs) I want to go. (laughs) So, Will, Matt and I um, got to talking about data on one of our episodes after we had you on. Mm -hmm. And uh, I I just happened to pull up a write-up on him from BigfootEncounters.com. And uh, it, you know, mentioned that he he held the world record for most Bigfoot sightings where <laughs> oh he practically saw them at will. Oh, he claimed all kinds of things, and I thought he was crazy as hell when he told, so told me those things. <laughs> but the last one was him saying that a female Sasquatch that had followed him down and seemed to be presenting herself as a mate. <laughs> Again with the sex with Bigfoot. He used to crack me up. He'd, he'd say, well, I, I think you can... You know, if you hold up a flower, you know, you might... might yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's what he told Scott Harriet in that documentary, to hold up a flower and to have a hand um, I, downturned kind of yeah. in an effeminate manner. Well, it's I, like, used to, I used to look at him and I, I'd tell Carlo, I'd say, you know, I think he's setting himself up to be lunch is what he's doing. <laughs> that's how you approach a, a dog, right? You put your hand yeah, down. Yeah, and, like <laughs> with an effeminate hand and a flower. Right. <laughs> That's fascinating, but, oh. hey, you know, I mean, he did see Bigfoot more than anyone else. Oh, yeah. You know, I, now, I, I, Davis was a nice old man. Of course, of course. I mean, I, you know, look. He's crazy. He's, he's been invaluable to this to this very show. Yeah, to me, just thinking, getting me to this point, he was huge. I, I, look, if, if, if people can't understand why this stuff is funny, then I don't know how to help you. You know, I'm not trying to hurt anybody's feelings. Or, you know, but this is just like with anything in life. I mean, if you can't laugh at it, then what are you doing? Oh, exactly. Humor is a big part of it, I think. I, you know, I I encourage, like on, uh, we have a Facebook page. It's the the JRG uh, Bigfoot Research page. And uh, there's a few people on there. They they create little memes, you know? Yeah. And they they usually put my picture on there with something. (laughs) And there, there's a series of them that are really funny. You guys should go up there and take a look. Okay. Uh, they right. were recently done about, it shows three Bigfoot talking, you know, about seeing the Jevning, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Saw the Jevning again. Yep. Little little I Am Legend. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> That's so great. Well, Will, uh, again, we really thank you. And, you know, we expect to catch up with you in a couple of months. And you bet we'll, we'll see how it goes. I can't wait to... Uh, to see what the summer holds. Do you uh, consider what? When do you consider the beginning of squatching season? Pretty much year round. I mean, it depends on 
you know, most people will wait. I mean, on some areas you have to wait because they're snowed in and you can't get in there. But, uh, or, you know, like up here in Northern California, there's, uh, the wind is pretty, pretty rough on the mountains up there and, and the Forest Service won't even clear the downfalls until the end of June. So, uh, but really any time of year, of course, you know, fall is the best time. That's when they're the most active and they're, you know, they're feeding up before winter, fattening up a little bit like bears do. I know we've tried to let him go twice, but <laughs> I, I I know we talked a lot. We we had a really good conversation that first time. I'm wondering, did did you and I talk at all about the, the and I have to ask everybody this: the underground situation. Are these things denning up, caving at all? Actually, they they like cold weather. What we found is. Every time I find tracks near a snow line, they're always going up in elevation. Yeah, they go up, they go up into the snowfields. They they seem to like it up there. Right. And I don't know if that's a leftover from the last ice age adaptations, but uh, they they definitely like that country. So. But you know, there's a lot of um, there's a lot of stories, especially in the Appalachias, about you know around old mines and abandoned mines. They seem to show up in places where there's a lot of limestone, which makes me think that they could slip into a cavern. Not like that they're living down there or whatever, but right. I just, I don't know. I, well, you know, a lot of times they'll, they'll cache food away, too. <laughs> so that's more of a likelihood than, than anything, because these guys, they're kind of all about... They're they're very wary about you know and of course we're their prime predator you know in their in their view yeah and they're always mindful of that so they don't they won't put themselves in a position to be pinned in which a cave would do yeah and somebody else said that mm. but 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 you did say that they like the cold so they're not necessarily moving. It doesn't bother them north at all. to south like a bird would or something no. like that. And Dude, if not I migrating. To, if I had to wear that much hair, I'd be all about the cold. <laughs> yeah, no, the cold doesn't bother them at all. Yeah. And I mean, weather, there's no indication at all weather bothers them. I like the idea, though, that Bigfoot is like on Infowars.com buying like into the world food storage units from in the Alex event of a, Jones. In the event of a food riot. Yeah, in the event of a food riot or a grain shortage, Bigfoot will be fine. Sorry, we MREs. Were, sorry, we were yeah. laughing about <laughs> MREs storage earlier. Oh. Um, but yeah, again, obviously, you know, love you here, and thanks again. And you and I are um, obviously staying in touch off the air. But you bet. I had people clamoring for Will. I'm not kidding. Um, really? <laughs> yeah, uh, they're knocking down our digital doors. They oh. they are. Um, I even uh, I even let a couple of people know that you were going to be on and. That if they wanted to put out for questions or whatever for you, and I was kind of looking at what some people had said, and one of the just one of the questions was uh, something about have have you ever attempted to take a picture of one? Oh, well, always. I yeah, mean, I mean, had you have you gotten what you thought was a picture of one? I do have one. It's it's unusual. I won't say it's one. It's a strange picture, and I, I haven't been able to have anybody really uh, do anything with it to sort of highlight what's there. Mm-hmm. Uh, we were, and I can't remember what year it was, 2004 or 5. 
uh, in one of our favorite areas, and there was this lake. There was a pair of lakes, and one of them was uh, very difficult to get to. You could see it from from a road. And finally, one year, we went up there, and it was dry. And I told my, my buddy, I said, we need to get down to that. I want to see if there's any kind of tracks or anything, you know, on the bottom of that. And, of course, when we fought through the brush, you know, and hopefully not finding any rattlesnakes or anything, uh, we got down to the bottom, and it was, of course, real thick grass covering the whole bottom. So I was a little disappointed. So I, one of my habits is just taking pictures panoramic pictures of, of a whole area just to go back and put them on the computer and take a look just to see what kind of vegetation's there and you know i, I want to get an idea of you know of the um uh, the whole area of you know, the context of an area and in one of the pictures i looked and i zoomed in and here's something that looks and the light was directly overhead so and and it looks just like a skull I'm not kidding, and it's not, there was no other, it wasn't a project of light and shading, there was something there. Uh, and then, of course, these things have very deep-set eyes, and with the lighting, it could be the face and, and upper upper body, one of these things. I don't know, I mean, I can't say that it is. I mean, now I do have a very good picture that was sent to me from Michigan of one of these things walking away. It's a, it's not a blob squatch, it's it's very clear, the thing walking away from, from the person taking the picture. And it's massive. You can see how big it is. Is that on, is that on the website? No, no. I, I haven't. I've only showed that to a few people. Oh, okay. You're holding that one out. The people. I'm going to put it in the new book, and it's more of a, a curiosity, just an item of interest, because I don't have the backstory. The person who sent it to me told me that the people that were friends of hers that gave her the picture are in total denial of what they took a picture of. Hmm. Uh, apparently it's, you know, kind of wigged them out to the point where they're just, you know, they don't want to come to terms with what's in the picture. Uh, and it's it's clearly not a bear because, you know, the front arms are, are up, uh, the back, the right leg is completely extended out, and you can see the whole bottom of the foot. You know, I mean, it's only, you, in the picture, it's on one leg. Wow. <laughs> so it's not a bear. Bears don't walk that way. That's crazy. Well, that was the, uh, that was the main one that, uh, Hit me up, but yeah, I had a bu- I, I had a guy email me, and uh, and then re-email me, and then post that I had told him that it was coming soon, and and so those uh, those guys over at the uh, Talk Bigfoot Forum are excited. To, oh uh, yeah, yeah, those are good guys. Yeah, for sure, for sure. I'm hanging around. We're hanging around with the good ones. We're. Uh, we're we're friends with everybody over here at the awesome. OK Talk Show. You know, we're not trying to make. I mean, I guess Dadis's family's probably pissed off at me, but other than that, <laughs> and I like him. I mean, I love him. I'm, I'm yeah, number one I, fan I like club his. right here. He was he was an odd person. Yeah, I'm an odd person. I celebrate it. Celebrate your oddities there. Right. <laughs> um, well, hey, we'll we'll uh, we'll talk to you soon. Thanks so much again. You bet, fellas. Have a good one. You hey. too. That was good, right? On some spooky dookie shit. Spooky dookie dookie. You know the one who make y'all suckers wanna run. The one that make you wanna spend more QT with your son. Nobody that I know no longer do this shit for fun. I am the P-O-O-G-I-E-M-A-N. You know the one who make a sugar drop a draws. I dig her cause she's honest and she do me just because. She wanna and I wanna die yeah, other than the yeah. balls. I am You can the- catch me in a white DTS with the top pop. Little bunny under my seat, this shoe hot rocks. Make a stuck a pole, get loose. Jiggy purr with me, shout it, jiggy purr with me, girl. Candle like your world swiftly. Big gift, aka the skinny miracle. 
a mute motherfucker from birth. I stay down for the ready, ready. Drop some media, spaghetti off in Japan. They call me Yeti, I'm the boogie man. You know the one who make y'all suckers wanna run. The one that make you wanna spend more cutie with your son. Nobody that I know no longer do this shit for fun. I am the B-O-O-G-I-E-M-A-N. You know the one who make a sugar drop her draws. I dig her cause she's honest and she do me just because. She wanna and I wanna, that's how the Niagara Falls. I'm I am the Boogie Boogie from the Goody Goody Gip. Put my oogie oogie between your camera foot, so stay put. A straight dog when I'm chasing the platypus. My intellectual quality is superior to most. I love a girl with the fat back, D cup, rack, toe, showing pole, holding my eyes fully. Cause I stare so hard with no regard. Good, make that change, shake that thing, mama. You know the one who make y'all suckers wanna run. The one that make you wanna spend more cutie with your son. Nobody that I know no longer do this shit for fun. I am the B-O-O-G-I-E-M-A-N. You know the one who make a sugar drop her draws. I dig her cause she's honest and she do me just because. She wanna and I wanna, that's how the Niagara Falls. I am the Touch what I never touched before. Seen what I never seen before. Woke up and seen the sun sky high. Sky high. Baby girl didn't even tell me bye bye. She was gone without dropping a digit. She was gone without using my kitchen. She left without kissing my lips. One more time, I want to hold up here. I hope we meet up again on a lunar eclipse. You know the one who make y'all suckers wanna run. The one that make you wanna spend more cutie with your son. Nobody that I know no longer do this shit for fun. I am the B O O G I E M A N. You know the one who make a sugar drop her draws. I dig her cause she's honest and she do me just because. She wanna and I wanna. That's how the Niagara Falls. I am the B O O G I you know the one who make y'all suckers wanna run The one that make you wanna spend more cutie with your son Nobody that I know no longer do this shit for fun I am the B-O-O-G-I-E-M-A-N You know the one who make a sugar drop her draws I dig her cause she's honest and she do me just because She wanna and I wanna, that's how the Niagara Falls I am the B-O-O-G-I-E-M-A-N